So today, as we turn to God's word, we are seeing an example of an individual who got to know the Lord even more intimately through him him giving up his life. And that's what Messiah asked for us. He says, take up your execution stake and follow me. Him speaking, not the rabbi's voice you hear right now, but follow him. And if we're not willing to do that, what are Yeshua's words? We're not worthy of him and his kingdom. That's what God's kingdom is all about. We get caught up in so many different things. But it's the simplicity of us having intimacy with God the Father by the equipping and being born again by the Spirit of the living God and then allowing our model, Yeshua, to follow in his likeness and his character. And today we'll be examining someone who was not perfect, just like you and I. But he desired to live out his life fully as a living offering unto God, which is the only true acceptable worship, is to pour out our life wholly before the Lord as he desires for us to live. This is part two of Acts of Yeshua's emissaries, the Shelachim, which are the called out ones, the emissaries. Chapter 24 and beginning at verse 1. Father God, your word is true. And it's the only thing that we can put our trust in these days. Not opinion polls that change. Not laws of men. But your law, your word, your Torah. Almighty God. That's the thing that we can anchor our souls upon. And know this, that everything that you've spoken shall come to pass according to your orchestration. Just as we see today our nation being less and less a superpower. That's all part of the Lord's orchestration. He will do this. He'll bring it to pass. We're not too far away from, I believe, Ezekiel chapter 38 being fulfilled in the near future. Where America and the nations become less and less. And where we see where Russia and Turkey and Iran are becoming more and more powerful. So is China. This will all bring about lessening of the United States. But that's all part of God's orchestration. Because it says in that book of Ezekiel chapter 38 that those nations shall come against Israel upon the mountains of Jerusalem. And what will take place there is that no nation will stand with the nation of Israel. Yeshua said, you will see the beginning of these end times. And we're not to be alarmed. But what we're to do right now, the body of the Messiah in America and all the nations of the world, we're to proclaim the good news as never before. God has his holy remnant in every nation of this earth. 
and they are to rise for such a time as this. Proclaim the good news. Because God desires to have people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. For their names to be inscribed in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And if that's not your heart's desire right now, I ask you to check your heart. To go in the presence of the Lord. And ask you to have the same love that the Father has. For this dying and lost generations of this earth whose names are not inscribed in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Nothing we own on this earth will we bring in the heavens. Nothing. But the Lord shall bring us there. So are you investing in the kingdom? Are you ashamed of the good news? Are you willing to sacrifice all that the kingdom of God can be established in the hearts and the minds of others. Remember this, someone paid the price for you and I to be here today, beginning with Messiah Yeshua. And I believe this in heaven will be introduced to those who intercede and prayed on our behalf so that our names could be inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Book of Life. All blessing and honor and glory is to the Lord and Him alone. It's His kingdom. We're looking for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to come down and rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. This shall all be accomplished according to his will. So the things that we've been holding on tightly in this earth, we need to release and allow the Lord to remove them from us so we be about our Father's business. Acts chapter 24, verse 1. After five days, the Kohen Haggadal, Hananiah, came down with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they presented their case against Shaul to the governor. Shaul was called, and Tertullus began to make charges. Hear now his words. Felix, your excellency, it is because of you that we enjoy unbroken peace. It is your foresight that has brought this to this nation. So many reforms in many areas, it is with the utmost gratitude that we receive this. But in order not to take up too much of your time, I beg your indolence to give us a brief hearing. We have found this man a pest. He is an agitator among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene. He even tried to profane the temple, but we arrested him. We wanted to try him under our own law. But Lysias, the commander, intervened. He took him out of our hands by force and ordered his accuser to appear before you. By questioning this man yourself, you will be able to learn all about the things which we are accusing him. 
the Judean leaders also join in the accusation and allege that these were the facts. Notice the demeanor of Tertullus. Who was this Tertullus? I've done a lot of reading to find out about him, and the scripture just reveals that he is a lawyer. Tertullus, is that a Hebrew name? No, it's not. It actually, the name originates in the Latin language. And so with his name that they mentioned before, Felix, they're trying to, to sway Felix by saying this is a man that is similar to him in that he has very good Roman connections. Notice the high priest is not standing and bringing these charges, but someone who is trained and skilled not only in the Jewish law, but the law of the Romans, the Romans' empire. And during this time, it was customary to begin the presentation in court with a compliment. You didn't want to go before the judge if you were the prosecuting attorney and to begin to insult him. No. But what do we hear in these words? But flattery. So excessive as to contradict the facts. So now let us examine some of the facts. To do this, we have to see who the Governor Felix is, a little bit background on him. He was a procurator of Judea. He was a governor of Sharon, Samaria, from the time of 48 to 52 Common Era, while Comanus ruled over Judea, another provenance. When the latter was removed from office for failing to suppress the writing between the Jews and the Gentiles of Caesarea, Felix replaced him. About him, Tychius wrote, with all cruelty and lust, this is speaking of Felix, he exercised the power of a king with the spirit of a slave, referring to the, him being a free man from Emperor Claudius's own mother, whose name is Antonia. Felix had three wives in succession, the last one being Drusilla, as recorded in Acts chapter 24 and verse number 17. So here is basically what we're dealing with here. A very evil, corrupt judge, who is Felix, someone with a smooth tongue, Tertullus, who wants to win over Felix to their side of, of prosecuting and finding Rav Shaul guilty. So he's using all these different types of application. See, at that time, you could actually come, if you were wealthy, come with gold or silver or livestock or your land titles, and you could place them before the judge privately. And the judge could rule favorably on your case. Politics are at play here. 
When believers are faced with politics, what are we to do? To do what the Lord desires for us to do. To live holy and pure lives. Not to fear what we are to say when we're brought before the rulers or judges of the land. But know this, that in that very time and hour, that the Spirit of the living God will fill our mouths with the words that we are to express. We see Rav Shaul modeling and demonstrating this. Now, as we go forward here, in verse 5, Tertullus presents an accusation against Shaul briefly, but not well. Being a pest is hardly an indictable crime. The world renders the Greek here, and I'll spell it out for you. It's O-I-K-O-U-M-E-N-E. Oikumene. That means inhabitant of the earth. But Felix is not Caesar. And he does not have jurisdiction beyond his own district. Now going further here, what is the sect of the Nazarene? The Hebrew word derived from the word Nazareth, or in most of our English translations it says Nazareth, was a, was a town where Yeshua the Messiah lived most of his life. The Greek word used here is, I'll spell it out, N-A-Z-O-R-A-I-O-S. Nazorenos. It is used six times in Acts and five times in the Gospels as a descriptive of Yeshua himself. Was he not called Yeshua of Nazareth? Jesus of Nazareth? Going forward. From Nazareth, or Nazareth, today a similar derived word in Hebrew is Nosarim, is the ordinary word which came to be known as Christian, or follower of Christ. But now after 2,000 years, it no longer refers to a group considered to be within Judaism. See these Members of the sect, S-E-C-T, were Nazarenes, or Nazarets. That they were followers of this prophet who came from Nazareth, who is Yeshua. So at that time, they were looked like at any other sect in Judaism. Case in point are like the Pharisees who were considered another Jewish sect. Also was the Sadducees, the Zudukim, who were another Jewish sect. So they're recognized in the original as being Jews who believe that Yeshua is the promised Messiah. We will see here in a few moments how Tertullus actually takes that, the Mashiach, and who is the Mashiach? But the Messiah, but he's also a king. 
Think back earlier when Pontius Pilate had a sign put over Yeshua on his execution stake, that tree, that cross, what was written on there? King of the Jews. So later, Tertullus will use this as trying to twist the situation. Because in Felix's eyes, who was the king? But Caesar. What did he owe his freedom to? But a descendant of Caesar. How did he raise to power and prestige his position in life? But through Roman rule. And so Tertullus later will be interjecting these thoughts in Felix's mind. Because if he rules in favor of this follower of the Mashiach Messiah, who is Yeshua, from the sect of the Nazarene, then he's actually choosing Yeshua over Caesar. His very life, everything he has that is precious to him can be called into account. See, many times when we read the scripture, we don't understand the dynamics that are going on here. Let's go forward here. The Greek word, and I'll spell it out to you, it's spelled A-I-R-E-S-I-S. Aresis. Gives us the English word heresy. Now we know what heresy is, do we not? Absolutely. But its meaning here is sect, S-E-C-T. Just like there is Orthodox Judaism, there's Conservative Judaism, there's Reformed Judaism, but there's also Messianic Judaism. Let's go forward here. It is used in Jewish literature to refer to other groups, including the Purushim, the Pharisees. And it does not necessarily have a negative convocation. But in the, in the minds of most Jewish people today, it does. Going forward here. Tertullus wants Felix to understand that the Nazarene, as a Messianic group, and that any group supporting a Messiah is loyal to a different king. Because if you were to enter a village or a town, even the nation of Israel, there were shrines set up, images and statues of Caesar. And if you were a Roman citizen, who believed that Caesar was king, you were simply to take of the incense that was provided for you and simply put it over the fire. That was an act of worship. Because Caesar was not only just a king in Roman mindset, he was a god, descendant of the gods, 
So going forward here. Tertullus wants Felix to understand that the Nazarene, the Messianic group, and any group supporting a Messiah is loyal to a different king and subversive of the Roman dominance. You're out of step. You're not following the laws of the land. So we have two areas of law and justice. You have the Torah, God's law, and you have Roman law, man's law. Going forward here. In verse 6, Tertullus, one of his accusations is, he tried to profane the temple. Okay? That's the charge. So the Asian Jews, the diaspora of Turkey, thought that Rav Shaul had actually done so. We have to refamiliarize ourselves with this. So turn with me to Acts chapter 21, and let us look at verse 26. Acts 21, so we can understand how Tertullus was not giving all the facts. Acts 21, verse 26. The next day, Shaul took men and purified himself along with them and entered the temple to give notice of when the period of purification would be finished and the offering would have to be made for each of them. The seven days were almost up when some unbelieving Jews... I'm believing what? I'm believing that Yeshua is the Messiah. From the province of Asia, present-day Turkey, saw him, saw whom? Rav Shaul. They didn't see these other men with him, but they saw Rav Shaul. Saw him in the temple and stirred up all the crowd and they grabbed him. Men of Israel, help, they shouted. This is the man who goes everywhere teaching everyone things against the people and against the Torah and against this place. And now he's even brought some Gentiles into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus from Ephesus in the city with him and assumed that Shaul had brought him into the temple. See, by assumption, since that was part of Rav Shaul's group, those Gentiles who had been grafted in to the Messianic community, they assumed, well, certainly he's going to bring them into the temple and therefore defile it. Going forward here. But but by this time in Acts 24, even his accusers realized that he had not, he had not done this. An attempted profaning of the temple is a reduced charge. Going on, it says in verse 6, we arrested him. That's a lie. They did not. This is a gross understatement. They wanted to lynch him. Now let us go further down in Acts chapter 21 beginning in verse number 30. 
We have to look at all the evidence. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all over. They, say, they seized Shaul and dragged him out of the temple. And at the gates, at once the gates were shut. But while they were attempting to do what? To kill him. They weren't arresting him. They desired to put him to death. Word reached the commander of the Roman battalion that all Jerusalem was now in turmoil. And immediately he took officers and soldiers and charged down upon them. And as soon as they saw the commander, they quit beating Shaul, the apostle Paul. Then the commander came up and arrested him. Notice that. Who did the arresting? It wasn't these Judean leaders. It was the Roman commander. And ordered him to be tied up with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. Everyone in the crowd shouted something different. So since he couldn't find out what had happened because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought to the barracks. When Shaul got to the steps, he actually had to be carried by the soldiers because the mob was so wild. And the crowd kept following and screaming, kill him. That's really what took place, according to the scripture. And that's why it's so important for us to examine scripture upon itself as we move forward and making decisions in our own life. Is there something in God's word that can help me to come to the right decision that I'm about to make going forward here? Even the manuscripts which provide this additional information. Tertullus avoids mentioning that Lysias, the commander, intervened. Namely, to save Shaul from the plot on his own life. Let's continue here in Acts chapter 23, verse 12. Acts 23, verse 12. It's very, very important that we know what has actually taken place. Do you trust in God's word? As giving you the truth at all times? The next day, some of the Judeans formed a conspiracy. They took an oath saying they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Shaul. More than 40 were involved in this plot. They went to the head koinim and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves by an oath to, to an oath to taste no food until we have killed Shaul. What you are to do is make it appear to the commander that you and the Sanhedrin want to get a more accurate information about Shaul's case so that he will, he will bring him down to you. And while we for our part, we are prepared to kill him before he even gets here. But the son of Shaul's sister got wind of the planned ambush and he went up into the barracks and told Shaul. Shaul called one of the officers and said, take this man up to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he too took him and brought him to the commander and said, 
The prisoner Shaul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand and led him aside privately and asked, what is, what is it you have to tell me? He said, the Judean leaders have agreed to ask you tomorrow to bring Shaul down to the Sanhedrin on the pretext that they want to investigate his case more thoroughly. But don't let yourself be talked into it because more than 40 men are lying in wait for him. They have taken an oath neither to eat nor drink until they kill him. And they are ready now only waiting for you to give your consent to their request. The commander let the man go, cautioning him, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he summoned 200, 200 of the captains, two of the captains and said, get 200 infantry soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at nine o'clock tonight and 70 mounted cavalry. The 200 and 200 spearmen also provide replacements for Shaul's horse when it gets tired and bring him through safely to Felix, the governor. And the commander wrote a letter. So here is the true evidence. But we notice Tertullus doesn't even refer to these facts. Why? Because he has been paid to bring about Shaul's death by now by the hand of Rome. And know this, that in the midst of any trial or tribulation, it may be in the future that rabbis will be arrested, especially Messianic rabbis, who believe that God's design and plan for marriage is between a male and a female. In the near future, I think that will possibly be a crime in America as it's becoming a crime in other nations. Are we willing to stand for the truth? Are we willing not only to apply God's word to our lives, but when called upon, are we willing to stand, even if it costs imprisonment, and even to the point of our own lives, so that the kingdom of God can not only be preached, but lived out before people. So I'll tell you this, many people don't listen to the words we share, but they watch how we live. Rav Shaul is an excellent model to us on how we're to live our lives, pouring in them out as a holy drink offering to the Lord on high. To his name be all praise and glory and honor. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom.